Brother Marty Ballesteros preaching. I'm telling you, literally. And we have done both. And when we do one or the other, we do it with all that's within us. I'm telling you, I remember Brother Brother Ballesteros preached some messages that just literally made me cry my heart out. But he has he's preached that's made me laugh, the hardest I've ever laughed. And so we're in for a good time here today. This next speaker, we are so honored to have Brother Ballestero as our second guest speaker this afternoon. Brother Martin Ballestero from South Bend, Indiana. Come and take your liberty in the Lord. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Heyman, and praise the Lord, everyone. And again, I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is always a signal honor to come to this first city and to have church with men and women of like precious faith, see so many familiar faces, and to be amongst so many folks that you love in the Lord. I see a face here that I haven't seen for many years. When I was about 19, I probably preached one of the worst revivals I ever preached in the city of Dallas for Brother Warren Green. I'm so happy he survived that and is still alive to talk about it today. Oh, yes. <laughs> I remember... One night after, I, I felt like the Lord had impressed me that someone was going to get the Holy Ghost in, in, in one service, and I, I had prayed and fasted, and I, I had travailed in the afternoon, in the afternoon up on the platform, and, and uh, I, I just felt impressed somebody was going to get the Holy Ghost that night. And I preached. They had two center girls there, and they sat there and chewed gum and talked, and I gave my little, poor little, beautiful sermon, and they ignored me and walked out the door, and they locked place up and I felt like well God had lied to me that nobody got the Holy Ghost and I was sitting in the in the evangelistic quarters with uh, uh, Brother Green's son and uh, a knock came at the door oh about 11 o'clock or something like that and a girl stood there and he looked at her and he said she started crying he said you want God don't you I hadn't seen the young lady before and she said yes so we called for a number of people from the church and they came over and she prayed around the altar and uh, I mean, just was having a serious, long, lengthy time of repentance. And uh, she got done. Brother Green began to kind of explain things a little bit to her there at the altar. And I was relating the story at my next revival, which just happened to be at a, the fair city of Fort Worth. And I said, uh, Brother Green, that he said, you know, when you repent now, you're saying, God, I'm through with the world and no more wearing earrings and makeup and no more wearing slacks and no more jewelry, no more picture show and no more. And I said, get ready to baptize her. Said she started taking off her earrings and started, took off her necklace and her bracelets and started taking off her earrings. I said, by the time she got the baptistry, she had everything off. And being a single evangelist, that was something they did not let me live down for a very long time. It has been a very special honor of mine to be in the same conference with Dad Davis. And didn't he preach so wonderful last night? Pardon me while I toot the horn of the, the home team here. Uh, Denver was the, the last place that my father and I got to preach together. And I think it's kind of special that it's also one of the first places that my uh, father-in-law and I get to preach together. And I'm glad the Lord allowed that to work out. And I tell you what, when he just, just rears back and starts preaching, it just kind of makes the old goosebumps just kind of stand up and said, that's my team right there. I like that. Praise the Lord. And uh, I'm glad to be here with Mom and Dad Davis. And I have my sugar booger with me today. Today, as Brother Hurley used to say, I got my wife here and my youngest son, Andrew. He's uh, my bodyguard and chauffeur, and he's also my A-man corner. You don't say man, son, it is a long walk home. 
And we also happen to have the uh, one of the junior members of the Ballastero clan, and that's little Jaron. He is my only grandson. So we have four generations of us here you got to put up with at this meeting. And uh, I also have uh, uh, another brother here that my father and mother adopted into the family. I got a big brother here, the personal brother Bill Bowie, and uh, he's been uh, called my mom and dad, mom and dad for many years. Brother Gilmer said Brother Davis was his father in the Lord. He's my father and his father. One's in the Lord and one's in the flesh. I guess we're kind of stepbrothers. But anyway, we're all here together. Didn't you enjoy Brother Gilmer's message today? Thank you for that. I worry about a generation that's not that doesn't care about things that are important. Somebody uh, tried to criticize a, an individual that I know one time. said, you always seem to be smiling and laughing. And uh, don't you think it's more important to be serious? And this particular person said, well, I think it's more important to be serious about things that's important. And there's a time to laugh, but there's a time to be serious about things. And ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a day when it's time to be serious about things that are important. Praise God. I give honor to both of the Brother Hamans and thank them for their warmness and their hospitality. Uh, I am uh, here today to do my best. My prayer is that the Holy Ghost would somehow be pleased to use me as a vessel today. On my, on my desk at home in my office, I have a, a little green compass made by Leopold. That compass was given to me probably 20 years or more ago by my father on a hunting expedition. Dad and I have been known to hunt in Wyoming and uh, a number of states, actually, Michigan. I don't think we ever got to do Colorado. But I have in my office some of the, the things that Dad has shot and Mom. I've got Mom's buffalo and that one of Dad's antelope and some of Dad's deer horns. And I've got uh, my elk horns and some stuff. I even have a deer's hind end mounted on the wall up there. Because when I go hunting, that's normally the only part I ever see. <laughs> no point in... No point in mounting something, framing something that you don't see. This is what I see when I go. That's the part I look at. <laughs> but my daddy gave me a compass to help me when I was in the woods so I wouldn't get lost, to know which way was which. I don't have him here to go hunting with anymore. I really don't do much hunting anymore. So the compass just basically lies on my desk. And it serves more of a symbolic purpose nowadays than actually a actual purpose because I know in my office which way is north and south and east and west, but it serves as more of a reminder of a moral compass. I want to keep going the right direction. I thank God for helps and reminders that we all have in this day and age of knowing which way is which. I pray to God that I don't get disturbed and turned around and not be able to know which way is which. Uh, listening to Brother Paul Harvey on the way out here. And uh, Brother Paul said that they were disturbed scientists. Uh, you may have heard it all. I just got a snatch of it. But they said that the homing instinct in the birds that he happened to mention they thought might be confused because of the cellular telephone transmitters and things. Who can tell? All I know is I don't want anything getting me off course this close to the end time. No wonder Paul said the same commit thou to faithful men. I am kind of a... A sentimental fool in some ways. Uh, I got my daddy's old suit on today. Don't mean anything to anybody else. Kind of out of style. But he was. And you know what? It feels all right being out of style. 
Though I may have his suit on, and I'm just doing it for me, okay? Just because I'm preaching here, just, just kind of, sometimes I just like to know that he's, he's still up in here, down in here. I don't like to preach too many sermons without mentioning him and talking about him. Because after all, that's why I've come this far. Because he put in me something that needs to be put in me. My mission and my goal as a pastor, as a father, is to do my best, should the Lord tarry, to put into my son, into the young men and women in my church, into my daughter, things that are important for salvation. I don't want to become a castaway and be disqualified the last mile of the race. How about you? Would you help me today and invite God's blessings and anointing upon the ministering of the Word today? Dear Jesus, I ask you today for your help, for your guidance. I need you. I pray, O oh God, that you be pleased to anoint my mind. Use me for your glory. I ask for conviction in this service today. Join our ears to the hearing of the word, and may your word have free course in this service. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Praise God. I would invite your attention today to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 6, and I would like to read, I said 1 Samuel, didn't I? Well, would you bear with me if I ask you to turn to 2 Samuel? There is actually a reason why I said 1 Samuel, and you'll know more about that in time to come, but 2 Samuel is where I want to go. Somebody wasn't praying about that anointing. <laughs> I've heard preachers preach, and they stop after I said, somebody's not praying. Well... Y'all keep praying here. <laughs> Brother Gilmer, I thank you for that precious message. And I thank the Lord the days our paths crossed. I preached for him when I was about 21 years old, something like that, newly married. And he was, him and Sister Gil, Gilmer were so gracious and, and hospitable. And, and you can't go to his church without having church and, and enjoying a good time in the Holy Ghost. And it's easy to fall in love with them. I watched him preach when he stood up to preach because I, I knew uh, from my father what church he was out of and who his pastor was. And I fell in love with him right away. I, I, I could watch him when he kind of backs up, you know, and he's getting a look at that Bible. And I was sitting on preaching revival there, but Sunday mornings he would preach on Sunday mornings. And I, I'd watch that. That eyebrow began to work a little bit when he was starting to get with the program. And, and, and uh, you could tell he was getting that thing wound up. And when he gets that engine wound up, I tell you, you fixing to hear something. And we heard something today. Praise God. Well, would you look with me in chapter 6 of First Samuel, Second Samuel. I did it again. Somebody stopped praying already. Again, David, verse 1, gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it up out of the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah. Look, if you would please, verse number 6. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Verse 9, And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? Verse 13, And it was so, when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. I feel very strongly on my heart today this message and I, I couldn't help but shake my head as the Gilmer got up 
I want today to preach to you on carefulness or the six steps of carefulness. Brother Gilmer talked about care, and I want to talk to you about carefulness. Talked about caring about things that are important, and if you care about things that are important, you're going to be careful what you do with it. I don't know, but somehow, although we've gone in, in our thoughts in various directions, there's part of it in my mind still kind of dovetails together very, very strongly, and I would like to help, by the, with the help of the Holy Ghost, make that connection in your mind and mine today. I am preaching to a generation that's tired of being careful, and we are dealing with spirits that feel like they can get by because we know the routine. I worry that songs are not sung with as much meaning as they should be in a lot of hearts, but we know them all. We've memorized them. It's thrilling to me to sing an old song and have a new meaning come to it. I'm There again, I go talking about my dad, but Brother Roger Evans sang a song at my dad's funeral on Now I Belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. And all of a sudden, the song I'd sung for years took on a new twist and a new meaning. I'd never heard it sung at a funeral. Some of y'all may have heard it sung for a hundred years. Maybe not quite, but for a while. But it, it, that day it took on a new meaning because it applied to my life, to where I was living. And when a message, when a song applies to where you're at, then all of a sudden you see it through a brand new perspective. Praise God. Now, our story starts out with David doing his best to be careful because he has experienced judgments of God. If you're very keen and cognizant and aware of what's the spirit world is happening in the spirit world around you. It ought to make you walk careful instead of reckless in the day and age in which we live. I see things happening in the church that I pastor, and if it does anything to me, it makes me try to be more careful. I have, uh, I don't know how much uh, news in Indiana travels to various parts of the state. Brother uh, Young may have heard about the little kids in, in the Riley Hospital in Indianapolis with E. coli here uh, a month or so ago. Those two kids are are uh, the grandchildren of my assistant pastor. And the mother of those babies is a backslider. Her dad's a preacher. She's a backslider. She's been through one tragedy after another with her children and yet never seems to catch on. Maybe I'm out of the will of God and I need to get right with God. You would think that when you see your babies nearly on death's door and Dan Rather's calling you up saying, can I interview you for my television program? And, and various TV people with their cameras swamping the hospital saying we would like an interview. Maybe it ought to start dawning on your noggin. There is something that even the world thinks is important here. Maybe I ought to get serious and understand, is God trying to say something to me? Our story really doesn't start in 2 Samuel. It starts in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel is where really it all started. They lost the ark of God when they was having a big war one day. And when they lost the ark of God, the heathens that got a hold of it, they didn't know how to treat the things of God, so they just handled it however it was convenient for them. And they stuck it in their house and set it right beside Dagon, and they came in the next morning, and Dagon was laying face down. They said, oh, this will never do. So they stood Dagon back up, put him back in his face, and come back the next time, and he's falling over, and his hands all broken up, and he was broken in pieces. They said, hey, we got a problem here, boys. And they had a big board meeting deciding what do we do with the Ark of the Covenant. They talked about it for a while, and pretty soon a plague came. Folks started getting sick, and they said, well, uh, somebody said, I think it's this ark that's giving us the problem. We've got to give it back to the people of God, the children of Israel. So they got, one of the wise men said, well, I'll tell you what you do. You take 
take this ark and you put it on a brand new cart that's never been used before. You take two milk cows that's got calves that's never pulled a cart in their life and you tie them to that cart. And then you take their calves home and put them back in the barn. Let them hear those calves holler. Does anybody hear ball like a calf? Louder. I wish I could. I'd do it, honey. Thank you. Might know Brother Jenkins. Langston was in there helping me out there a little bit. Oh, like a calf. And they hooked to a cart like they'd never been hooked to before. But the sinners, the heathen understood, if those milk cows ignore their bawling babies and they're willing to go on to Israel and walk off from those cows that are nursing, then surely the presence of God is in that ark. When you're tied to the presence of God, your nature changes. You don't act the same. You're not the same when you're tied up to the presence of God. Don't tell me it's not your nature. Don't tell me it's not your personality. When you get tied up to the ark of God, your nature changes. Your personality changes. No wonder we sing, there's a great change in me. Can a leopard change its spots? No, it can't. But you can tie that sucker to an ark, (laughs) and it's going to be a different creature. Oh, yes. The old song says, smoke, I used, I, enough I used to dip, but I don't dip no more. What happened? I got tied up to the ark. Uh, I hate to tell you some folks, but your knot's a little loose. You need to tighten that knot and make sure you're tied up good to that ark. This is no day to come loose from that ark, honey. When that nature, oh, you get tied up to the presence of God, that ark represented His presence. Yes, it did. And when you get tied up to the presence of God... You're going to do things you never did before. You're going to go places you never went before. You're going to leave behind things you never left behind before. It won't be hard to leave the world. It won't be hard to say goodbye to sin. It won't be hard to say goodbye to old friends. It won't be hard to say goodbye to all habits because you're tied up to the presence of God. And I want you to know that it will do something for you that's never happened to you before. Somebody help me praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Well, they tied up those two milk cows. Somebody's praying for me. They tied up them two milk cows, and they started making their way, not even looking back towards the house, making their way down the road to God's town. And on the road to God's town, they were intercepted by the people of God who began to rejoice. Here comes the ark. Here comes the ark. They were so happy, and they got it, and they put it in the household of Abinadab. Stuff began to happen at Abinadab's house. The blessings of God hovered down and set alone in dad's house. I right, have the presence of God there. Your house is going to be blessed when you've got God's presence in your house. Your house will never be the same. Your children will never be the same. Your grandbabies will never be the same when God's presence is in your house. God blessed the Benedict's house for many years. So David begins to study about things. He comes on the scene. He said, you know, here I am here in Jerusalem. God I'll make a place right here for the house of God, for the ark. But man, we got to have the ark here. So he gets 30,000 tools and men. That reminds me of a letter I read lately. He gets the main men of Israel. And he goes after the ark. And they go down with singing and rejoicing and shouting. Come on. And they go down there to where all the people of God are going to watch this great big new phenomenon of bringing the ark of God up to the city of David with rejoicing. And they get down there, and they're just going down the way, and the oxen, they got oxen there. They're, they're using the Philistine formula. They got oxen tied up, and those oxen are just pulling the, that load down there, and one of the oxen shook the cart. 
And a man who met very well, whose name I never know how to pronounce, he reached out and he grabbed a hold of it, just kind of steady, trying to help stuff out. I'll go ahead and act like you know all the stuff in the Bible, too. Stuck his hand out trying to steady it. God smote him dead, and David jumped back. And the Bible said he was afraid of the Lord that day. So the story's going to rest a little bit before I pick up my text, and I'm going to start building on that. Things begin to happen. And David realized, I can't have church like that. I can't do it like that. I don't care how precious it is and how much I want it. If I'm going to do it, i got to do it God's way or it don't get done. If you want the real Shekinah glory of God, and you want true apostolic revival in your midst, Mister, you're going to have to have it God's way, or all you got's just a fake, cheap imitation. You can clap your hands and you can beat on the drum till you shout your socks down around your ankles, and when you got done, all you had was a big, strong, beaten rhythm. When actually you need something that on the inside that's going to keep you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and bring you back to the house of God Sunday morning without having to wait for somebody to pump you back up and make you feel full of the Holy Ghost again. David got serious about how do I get the ark back. And as I begin to read this, something began to work down on the inside of this old bald-headed guy. And I looked at the tragedy that had happened here. And I tell you, my friend, that bad choices, and I've been bothered by this, but bad choices are no accident. Hear me? The saints of my church are getting tired of hearing me preach on this subject. But bad choices are no accident. And I'll tell you why. And and here's here's just one of the Scriptures I use. But it said, In all thy ways... Acknowledge Him, and He shall direct the path. Now, I'm not big in translations and various versions and everything, but, you know, you're fooling around on the computer and all that, and you get all that stuff there, so you just click on what, is it, what does this one say, what does that one say. The Living Bible says, In all thy ways, put God first, and He shall direct thy path. When you drive down the road, you know, the, I remember riding down the road one time when I first went to Louisiana, and I got introduced to, to uh, all the culture and, and back in the, in, the, in the more interior parts. So I was riding down the road with Brother Ray Majors, and he, he said, uh, look, we passed some, one household. He said, did they speak? Oh, my God, man, the air conditioner's on and the window's up. If he spoke, I couldn't hear heard him. He said, no, did he raise his hand? He said, you know, when you drive down the road and you, you see a truck pass into the car, People raised their fingers up off the steering wheel and said, that's called speaking out here. They spoke to you. They acknowledge you. In the city, I'm used to going down the road and nobody do it. If somebody acknowledges you, you kind of look away. You don't want to pay them a whole lot of attention. You, you live in the neighborhood I live. It's best just not to see a whole lot of stuff. Then I get a witness. I want you to understand that when you acknowledge someone, you acknowledge that I can't make it without you. I had a man in my church that sung a song, and every time he sung a song, I could see it grating on some of the folks, so I had him sing some more. And that was, I can't walk without Jesus. I can't talk without Jesus. You've got to get in the frame of mind that I just don't know how to walk without you, God. I don't know how to talk without you. I mean, God, I need you. I don't even know how to find the door. Brother Picklesimer's uh, sister, uh, he was my Sunday school teacher out in National City, California. I think he pastors in Idaho now. But Sister uh, Picklesimer was a sister down at the bank uh, by... Vice President or something like that, a tall, stately woman. She came into church in a three-piece suit, and she had a little sports car convertible, Austin Healy. To me, you know, 15, 16, that was a sports car convertible back in the the, the 58, something like that. But she walked in there, and my dad was preaching revival for Brother Reynolds, and she came down the altar. She got the Holy Ghost. Got the Holy Ghost actually in the water. But she repented good, and got the Holy Ghost in the water. 
Well, I want you to know the next night she was back down at the altar and praying with a, a woman that was down there just talking her ear, just really talking to her. Dad wondered, now what in the world could this lady be telling her she really don't even know anything? Here is the vice president of the bank talking into this poor woman's ear. She said, tell him you're stupid. Tell him you're ignorant. Tell him you don't know nothing. She said, that's what I told him and he gave me the Holy Ghost. You can't come stand and call before God. God, I'm stupid. I'm ignorant. I don't know anything. But what I do know is that I need you. What is a bad choice, Brother Ballesteral? Well, a bad choice is any decision that takes you away from God. Any decision that gets you in trouble with God. Any decision that puts your soul in jeopardy. Any decision that ignores the will of God. You just made a bad choice. You know what I like about Jacob? But I'm just shooting all over the tree. I've got to do better about keeping the train of thought going. What I like about Jacob, when he went to a certain place, the first thing he did, the Bible said, he built an altar. And he dug a well, and then he pitched his tent. Notice the order. Build an altar. Altar was first. Well was second. Tent was third. We try to go, we go to Newtown. Some folks want to transfer. I want to go to this place. I, want, I hear they got a big well over there, and I want to go where that well is. You know, the well is your source of survival. You know, it helps you survive. So, man, I, if they got a good well, I want to go there. No, you better make sure they got a good altar first. If they got a good altar, then you dig your well, and then you can find your place to live in. You don't put the house first. You don't put the job first. Church comes first. If you can do that, you can make a good choice. You ought not to be moving anyhow. But if you had to move, that's the, that's the formula that you use. I had one man, he applied for eight transfers in eight different towns. I just went out of here. And actually, I was rather glad when he went. They didn't have a church in any of the towns. Your kids are going to pay. You're going to pay. Well, let, 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 let me do it to you this way. See this over here? How many know what this is? Hmm? That's the mall. Everybody say, that's the mall. Anybody can tell that's the mall. I just told you. And it'd be the mall as long as I want it to be the mall. <laughs> Your pastor tells you that the sky is green and the grass is blue. It's going to be blue as long as you're there in that church. But it said, Amen. Hey, guys, you want to go to the mall? Sure. Sir. All right, get in the car. All right, here we go. We're going to the mall. And we're just going to the mall. Somebody said, Hey, you just made the wrong turn. Look, who's driving this? You or me? This is my life. Let me make my own mistakes. Let me make my own miscues. You can go down dead-end roads. You can keep making wrong turns till you're blue in the face or till you run out of gasoline. You might even get close to the mall. But if you don't actually get there, you've never really arrived at where you started out to go. You can go here. You can go there. You can say, oh, man, we're going to the mall. This is fun. We're going to the mall. But you're not there till you actually get there. Amen? And as long as you keep making bad choices and bad decisions about life, about your friends, about those you marry, about your job and all this kind of stuff. You never will arrive at heaven's gate. You never will arrive where you're supposed to be. You'll keep making wrong turns. People can preach at you and you say, you're just picking on me. Let me live my own life. You better thank God for a pastor. Thank God for a brother, a sister, a mom, or dad, or somebody that loves you that says, honey, we need to put our life in God's hands and let God help us make the right choice. Thank you, God. David was making a bad choice there. The reason he made a bad choice is because he didn't bother to include God. And how do I get this ark here? He was doing it his own way. You better start doing things God's way, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm, oh, Lord, I just might as well say this a lot. Make a bad turn. Don't blame God. Here's old, old Brother Lot. How could God let that happen to my wife? She never spoke against him. That was a good woman. I loved her. Lot, don't blame God for what you went through. You made the choice to go to Sodom in the first place. You could have just as easily chosen the mountaintop. 
but no money was in there before God was in there. And you let the well-watered plains of Sodom supersede the importance of God in your life. You're going to pay for your wrong choice and your wrong decision. Bad choices are no accident. You study it out, ladies and gentlemen. You'll find out. As long as you put God first in your life, you're going to start making right decisions and right choices. It happens every time. Let's give the Lord a hand clap, please. I don't know if I got... Yeah, I got it here. I got leftover. I'm preaching to my church. You know what this is? This is a weather map. I got a weather map I downloaded off of the Internet. It shows me where the storms are. Pretty cool. See all that orangey stuff? Them storms. You want to avoid a storm? Don't go there. You don't have to have an IQ over 50 to figure that out. Just don't go there. I'm, I, I, I like ham radio and amateur radio. So I'm coming down the road here. Got a little radio in my hand. I see ominous storm, storm clouds in, I believe it was in Iowa. Maybe uh, Illinois. Right on the line. Moline. That's where it was, Moline. So I turn on ham radio and sure enough I hear the National Weather Service uh, using the amateur radio spotters to tell them what's happening and they said well we got a funnel cloud with rotation and to those of you that live in in uh, this area i'm certain you all know about storms maybe a whole lot more than i do and i've even had some training in it. but they say well i'll tell you what tell me about the rotation what kind of speed and how far off the ground they said well it's touched down we've got a live tornado it's on the ground and it's coming straight down interstate 80 it's eastbound with a hammer down. And I'm driving right into them clouds, and I'm saying, Oh, God, here comes the hailstorm. Here comes the funnel. You know, you can see a long ways out there, and I'm looking. I'm listening to that ham radio and them spotters that they got all out there with the National Weather Service. And where are they all at? Okay. And I saw the clouds that the guy was describing. I could see it. And even Andrew got up and sat up in the back seat. You know, I want to see this. And he looked out there. He was, you know, we starting to see him coming home in the, in, the, in the car going down the road. If you got a weatherman, he says, There's where the storm is. You want to avoid a storm? Don't go there. Paul told a certain centurion, a captain of a ship one time, he said, Hey, take my advice and don't sail. But the man thought he knew more than Paul did, so he sailed anyway. They lost the ship because they didn't pay attention to what the man of God said. There are some storms in your life you can avoid if you would listen to the preacher, if you would listen to your pastor, if you would listen to the weatherman and say, Hey, don't go there. You're going to run into trouble if you go there. Don't stand around and complain because you got this problem, that problem. If you listened to your pastor, you could have avoided that storm. That's not even my sermon. I just threw that one in for free. That still does a number down on the inside of my gizzard. Thank God. You know, I didn't understand it too much when I was a kid. But I thank God my father loved me enough to tell me the truth and tell me straight. Sometimes I cried about it. Sometimes I got a little quiet for a while. Thank God for the times when I come back and said, Thank you, Daddy, for talking to me. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. By the time... 2 Samuel chapter 6. Interesting, 1 Samuel chapter 6 is the ark for the presence of God. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where they go pick up the ark again. Now, it's a different story. The routine is different. Oh, Lord, help me. I'm struggling with the clock. Oh, we got got to do it, but we got to do it right. And I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, And David was afraid of the Lord that day. I don't know what to name these six steps. So why don't I just use little things that I picked up as I begin to read the story of David and various things that he did and spirits that he manifested to show you and to explain the six steps of carefulness. You get careless, you're going to make bad choices. But you get careful and you're going to make a right choice. Did you ever get off wrong and mess up and finally you had to go back and you went real slow? This is how David was going. And the first thing it said was that he feared the Lord greatly. The first step, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be fear of God. I'm not here to beat up on young people. I'm not here to beat up on one 
oneness group or another. I don't care where sin is, if it's in my, my heart, my mind, in yours, in one fellowship or another. If it's in one age group or another, it's wrong no matter where it is. Amen. What scares me to death is to see people who act like I can drive as fast as I want to down this highway and not have to worry about one blessed thing. I know enough about radio and electronics. Uh, I, I, electronics seems to come pretty easy for me. And I have, uh, you know, I, I've got devices that tell me, you just got policeman, he just did that to you, you know. And they even got little jammers now that'll jam him where the policeman can't tell really how fast you're going, you know. And they got one speed set on about, uh, I don't know, what is it, 35 for town, and uh, the other one for 65 on the highway, what, what, whatever they're set at. If you forget and you're driving... 25 miles an hour through town, you've got, got it accidentally left on 65 miles an hour, you're in big trouble. So, you know, when first you start to deceive, you what an awful tangled web you weave and that other kind of, you got to be careful. Well, the only thing my radar detector ever did was just tell me, hey, that guy just got you, and, and that's about the only thing it ever did. <laughs> I know one person had a little thing there, they got him now, you can just push a button and it says state, and you just push what state that you're in, and you can hear the police, the county, the, the uh, highway patrol, they're talking about you as you're going down the highway, this one guy was doing a hundred and some odd miles an hour down the highway, and he pushed the, uh, had a little button on there, and his little uh, scanner thing on, and, and it said, uh, they passed this one cop, and he radioed somebody else, and said, you got a, uh, a little red car and he took, described what it was and this other kind of car I think it was southbound whatever direction had and he gave the speed so this guy heard heard him the, the, the chase car being radio so he just went off the exit and he just got right off there and turned around and went the other direction and drove a long time when he turned around and came back later here was that little BMW that he'd been running with it was up on one of the big tow trucks he was hauling that sucker off he avoided it well you can live your life avoiding the word of God and the things of God and just because judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of man is fully set in him to do evil. How long can I get by? Did you notice, pastors, every time somebody asks you questions, it's always, how much more can I do? How much can I get away with? They never want to know, how. what does it take to get more spiritual? How can I get closer to God? But how much further away from can I get from God to still be okay, to still go up in the, in the rapture? God, give us folks that are in love with this thing, that want to walk carefully and circumspectly before Him, redeeming the time, because the days are... Well, the first thing that David began to do is walk with fear. You know, if you know that you can get AIDS, if you're just an old sinner or a girl, you know that you can get AIDS and you really don't take any measures to even buy to avoid. There's not really a whole lot of fear in you. You're just out there living, I just take my chance. You know, you could die getting hit by a car. Yeah, you could, but you haven't so far. Man, they take chances. They don't like what you preach. They'll go to the church across town because it's a little bit easier. Amen. We, we got a, a, a guy in, in our town. I preached for him in the past. And he just told somebody here last week or two. He said, well, come on over to my church. He said, I've quit preaching standards. I'm not preaching standards anymore. It's okay. Just, just come on over. Listen, I've watched some of these guys that say those things are not important. Their churches aren't growing. Their churches aren't just skyrocketing into 10,000 people. You're fooling yourself when you can live without the fear of God. You better thank God that there's something in here that says, I want to be careful. I can hear my father saying, I know I can be saved not doing it. Why do I want to gamble? Why do I want to take a chance? I play with these.
fear of God. Uh, today, well, I, I thank God that I heard some of y'all preach. My father preached. Well, did you ever smoke a cigarette, Brother Ballister? Yeah, I did. I remember being in the third grade, and the two girls came by in a convertible, smoked a cigarette, and they threw one out in the gutter. And I went over there, and I picked it up, and I decided to try it out down there in Baytown, Texas. I don't remember now what brand it was, but I remember just one, one puff was enough. And I said, <laughs> <laughs> Little dab will do you. Thank God there wasn't something down in here that says you got to have something to drink. That's alcohol. Thank God that there wasn't something down in here that says it's okay to commit immorality and to do wrong and, and just live wild without any restraints. Thank God for that conscience that kept preaching to me. I could hear the, the Word of God. I could hear my father preaching to me. I could hear my mother's prayers over here that kept me from going places I ought not to go and doing things I ought not to do. I can't tell you I was a saint, but no telling what would have happened if there hadn't been some fear in here. Amen. I think I'm just preaching to myself along about here. I'll try to come around the block where the rest of y'all are standing and, and get with the program here in a minute. First Chronicles chapter 15 also relates the same story. And notice what it says here in verse number 13. It says, God made a breach upon us so that we sought Him not after the due order. It said, hey, the reason this happened is that we didn't seek God after the due order. First comes fear. Number two, the second step is obedience. We didn't seek God. We didn't inquire of the Lord. We didn't obey His Word and do it the proper way. Sure it is. How many wonder what this is? Rough stuff, folks. You have to have a college education to run this. You know what that is? Oh, Jenga. Bunch of little blocks of wood on a real slick surface. What folks are doing today, what the object of the game is, is you pull out a little thing like that, and it still stands. We didn't need that. Well, I know we don't need that. That ain't holding nothing up. Matter of fact, we take the whole top row off. The object of the game is to take out all that you can take out and still see if it stands. We've got folks nowadays that are saying, I wonder if we can take holiness out of here and this thing still stand up. You know, standards aren't near as important as some of these guys say. Look at this. Look at this. I quit preaching standards. My church sucker's still standing. Got just as many as I always had. And you're going to keep taking things away. You're going to forget about doing it after the due course and after you should, like you should be doing it. And you're going to be proud of what you have. But you're destroying what God built. You're not to take away from what He built or you're not to add to it. You're to leave it just like God made it. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You know, Book of Revelation talks about various church ages we like to refer to them as. And you got the Philadelphia, the Thyatira, and the Sardis, and the Laodicea. Actually, this is not the Laodicea church age. This is the Jenga church age. We just keep pulling stuff out. We quit preaching some things. You know, it's okay. This pastor across town lets his young people go to the movie theater. That ain't the Bible. Movie theater ain't the Bible. Well, I don't understand why that happened. I don't understand why we got unmarried mothers in our church. I don't understand why we got all kinds of mess going on here. You can't get people in a prayer room. Nobody worships God. Nobody shouts. Nobody wants to pay their tithes or be obedient to the man of God. If you're going to do it right, do it God's way. Don't be taking stuff out of God's church. You leave it all in there. This is worth saving. Holiness is still God's lowest standard. The new birth is still essential. You've got to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name by immersion. And you must speak with the Holy with the tongues as you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know I'm telling you the truth. 
You can do whatever you want to, but you leave God's book alone. I remember my mother saying when I was a kid, we tried to play church. Of course, being the boy, they made me be the preacher. And I had four sinners to preach to. My sisters. They were sinners. Ungodly hussies. I really had some precious sisters. I still do. But mama would say, don't play with the Bible. If you open it up, leave it there. But don't be picking it up, carrying it around, doing all you, if the Bible's on the coffee table, you can open it up, but you don't be playing with the Bible. You want to act like you got a Bible, get you a, one of the Mother Goose books and walk around with it, but you, you don't be playing with the Bible. Huh? Thank God for somebody that put a reverence and respect in my heart for the things of God that are holy. If you want revival in Denver, you've got to get it after the due order. If you want revival in South Bend, you've got to get it after the due order. You've got to get it God's way. Let's don't see how much of this stuff we can pull out of here, but let's see how good we can keep it all held together. Come on, if you believe that, clap your hands into the Lord. In Chronicles 15 and 12, David then said, Sanctify yourself. Fear, obedience, now cleansing or sanctification. I like that word, sanctify. First time I ever heard the word sanctify. I was in fourth grade, Columbus, Indiana. Daddy was pastoring there. Some lady come to church, stood up, she said, I thank the Lord I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Pray for me, I'll go all the way with Him. And sit down. I'd heard my dad preach. I knew you could repent, get baptized, get the Holy Ghost. And I'd heard about holiness. That's supposed to be a joke for you that don't I remember your brother saying, they accused me of preaching on holiness. Speaking of himself, Brother Lee Davis said, they accused me of preaching on holiness. The clothesline so often said, and so long as they say I got lint on my lungs. <laughs> Went to the house when I was just a hike. I don't know how old it was, but fairly young. And uh, Mama, Bobby's over here. And uh, playing in the dirt. We're digging, playing trucks out in the backyard. I was, I don't know, third grade, second grade, something like that. Said, you got a pot or a pan or something I can put some dirt in? I don't have a, you know, a dump truck. I need a pan to use it as a dump truck. And I brought this nice shiny pan in showing Mama. I said, can I use the pan, some dirt in? She said, you can't use that pan. Go get that old, old-looking pan under the sink. Get that old one that's got burnt marks on it. Pin it up. You can use that one. You put the other one back. That one is my good pan. You can use this one. So I... Bobby and I played in the dirt, and I loaded this sucker up with dirt. Played all day long, enjoyed it. Year two rolled along, and pretty soon I came to the house one day. I said, Mama, I need to feed the dog. The dog's dish broke, and I, I need to get another dish here for the dog. And I brought out this nice pan again. Mama said, Mama, can I use this pan to put the dog food in today? She said, uh, No, you can't use that dish. That pan, you know better than to even haul that one out of the cupboard. You put that back. You go get that one that you and Bobby used to play with, and you put dirt in. You go get that one out from underneath the sink there, and you use that one. That's the one you get to use. So I went under the sink, and I got the old pan out. That I put dirt in, and now I've got dog food in it. No ginger, my boxer dog, it ate, it ate dog food out of that. Well, time rocked on now, and I'm a big guy now. I got me a car. And I decided one day I was going to try to change oil for the first time. So I come in the house and said, Mama, I don't have any pan to change oil with. I brought out the nice new pan. <laughs> so I talked about ever learning and ever coming to the knowledge. I was a little slow, evidently, growing up. Thank God I'm healed. But I brought this pan in to show Mama be all right if I change oil in this. She said, don't you ever put oil in that pan. That's my guy cooking that pan. That's what I... And she began to explain to me what all she did with that pan. She said, you go get that pan you fed the dog in, and you use that one for the oil. Somebody said, well, I'm sanctified, and I can't never sin. And there was a doctrine going around like that when my father was a young man in the Lord. 
I could put dog food in this pan. I could put oil in that pan. But I have just destroyed its original purpose. In the Old Testament, things were sanctified to God from the very inception. What I'm glad about the New Testament is that things that were old and filthy and dirty, God was able to wash by His blood, justify, sanctify, make you whole and clean and pure. And David said, I'll tell you what you need to do now. You've had dog food in you. You've had dirt in you and worms and bugs. What you need to do now is get all washed up, get sanctified, because we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. It's time for sanctification. It's time for you to remember you just don't put filth in this heart. You don't read filth. You don't look at filth. You don't entertain filth because you are dedicated sanctified vessel under God Almighty. I'm telling you, it's still important to be separated from the world. I'm glad to be around folks where holiness is still in style. It's not an object to see how close, or contest to see how close we can get to the world, but how far away can we get from what even looks like sin? Sir, we can legislate the vehicle that sin comes on so we're blue in the face. Why do you just legislate the wrong itself? And no matter what vehicle it comes on, just say, I'm against sin, I'm against wrong, however it gets in my house, and I don't want it in my house. I don't want it in my heart. I don't want it in my life. I don't want it in my church. But don't open the doors and say, oh, this is okay. Everybody over there is doing it. Everybody over there is doing it. And we sought Him after the due order. The spirit of carefulness, fear, obedience, sanctification, cleansing of ourselves. In, in chapter 15, verse 16, David then began to worship and began to dance. Of the Lord. After sanctification, then came the worship. Then came the praise. I don't know how David danced before the Lord. I don't know what he looked like. I don't know what he did. I do know this much he sure was happy. You may not praise God like I feel like praising God. I may feel like doing that from time to time. There's some get down on the floor and they roll around. I don't know what you do. I don't care what you do. But everybody ought to do something for God. There ought to be something in your heart that makes you want to clap your hands, raise your hands, jump up and down, dance around a little bit. or Whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. You would have had to have been a registered idiot not to have felt the presence of God when that choir sung last night. Or not to have felt the presence of God when the man of God preached last night. Folks, conviction was here. In this service last night. That's why we're having a meeting here. David, again, praise God. Don't tell me. Worship is not in order. Uh, I had to repent for a bad lie I told one time. I went to Brother Wright's church on Mayflower Road. You know who I'm talking about. Walked into his church. Brother Hale, Brother Wright. Oh, Lord, there's probably 10, 15 preachers. A little once a month fellowship meeting we had in our own little circle. The boys come up from Arkansas that I didn't know. And uh, they didn't know me. And I'm sure it was in their favor. But I walked up to the first man. I saw him stand there. And he looked like he just as lost as could be. Oh, I hated I did this. But I did. And I, I asked the Lord forgive me. You may not, but the Lord did. I said, hey, then, sir. Took my hand. I said, uh, I, he said, uh, are you apostolic? He should never have asked me that. I said, no, I passed a little Trinitarian church down the road. I never fixed it. I just left it. I walked up on the platform. The guy he was with, he didn't hear me say that. So after a while, man, folks just got to shout and praising God, man. They just looking for Jesus, you know, and they just having churches. And I leaned over to this other guy and I said, is all this necessary? <clears throat> never fixed it. Just left it alone. Man, that first guy got up. He preached one God to a fairly well. He scalded the dog that everybody didn't believe that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. The second guy got up. He said, somebody said, is all this worship necessary? He said, yes, it's necessary. And he went to town on that. Well, I felt like the Lord kind of used me because I gave him something to preach about. 
It's all in how you look at stuff, you know. All some people want is just the Word and no worship. All some other folks want is just worship and no Word. But it takes Word and worship. It takes a combination of the book and the Spirit. Thank God i got something to shout about. Praise God for the Holy Ghost and fire that's keeping me alive. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to praise Him here. Somebody needs to magnify His name. Thank you, Jesus. Chapter 15, verse 24. And it said, And He appointed two doorkeepers. One was Obed-Edom, whose house that the ark had been in the, the final time when there had been this awful tragedy. And here now is the doorkeeper. My references tell me that it was more like an honor guard. It, they showed by having a doorkeeper, they showed respect and honor to the ark of God. Not only is there worship, not only is there word, obedience to the word, not only is there sanctification, not only is there fear, but there needs to be some honor, some awe, some reverence, some respect for the things of God. Walking carefully and circumspectly before Him all the days of your life. Notice this thing here. This procession, ladies and gentlemen, was an awesome procession. They had 862 Levites dressed in white. Three choirs, all of them. And one choir also played instruments. Following behind the choirs was the two doorkeepers. Then behind the two doorkeepers came the ark. And it was escorted by seven priests blowing silver trumpets. And David came behind the priest blowing silver trumpets, and he was dancing and praising God Almighty. And behind David were all the elders of Israel. Behind the elders were all the captains of thousands. And behind the captains of thousands was all of Israel. And they came. Now, the sixth stop was when they made the sixth step. They stopped and they sacrificed. And they shed blood. Seven bullocks, seven rams. Let's talk about this. And I'm out of time. Oh, Jesus. I've got to wrap this up faster than a Christmas present. If you believe in Christmas presents. If you don't, just change it to birthday present. It'll work for me. Appreciation gifts. I remember preaching for Brother Shue, and he didn't believe in Christmas, and my folks mailed me a Christmas present. I said, oh, Lord. But they also included my overcoat that I'd forgotten in the present. So I said, well, my folks sent me my, my overcoat. So appreciate them sending that to me. But they'd also wrapped up a little wristwatch that they sent me. In. And so I had to pull the tissue paper off and tear it up little pieces and flush it down the toilet. Because he threatened to disfellowship anybody that even said the word Merry Christmas. The truth is finally coming out at last. <laughs> well, there goes the sermon. David went six paces, and on the sixth one, they sacrificed. Well, and then he stopped. Let's talk about that. Why did he stop at six? Well, we know that, you know now that six is symbolic of man's number. You get to seven, that's God's number. That's, that's completeness. That's perfection. Well, he understood. Six days, you live six days. The seventh, you stop. You work six days. Seventh, you stop. You till the land six years. The seventh, you stop. Seventh is God. If you're a slave, you're a slave for six years. The seventh, you stop. Six was as far as man can go. Seven is when God took over. So here's where the seven bullets and the seven rams came in. It's time now to apply the blood. The seventh step, ladies and gentlemen, in this seven steps of carefulness is keep the blood applied. They kept applying the blood. Thank God I can stand in the congregation of the righteous and sing, I'm under the blood, the precious blood. I'm under the cleansing, healing flood. Keep me, Savior, from day to day. Under the cleansing blood. Aren't you glad that you're under the blood of Jesus Christ? Let's clap our hands and do the Lord. Okay, here's where I'm leaving the Bible. This is me. Alistair. First Alistair. I don't know the chapter and verse. 
How many times did he do that? They weren't in Jerusalem. Because I got a reference written down there where it says, and they took it up to Jerusalem. So they weren't in Jerusalem. Well, six steps is six paces to about 18 feet. If you do that, you got 293 times in one mile. If you offer seven bullocks and seven rams 293 times, you got 4,102 sacrifices. My point is, some Jake Lave comes around an apostolic church that is all that necessary. Don't y'all, you all gone to seed on that. Yes, sir, it's necessary. We're doing everything that we're doing six and then we're stopping and we're applying the blood again. And then we're going to go some more and make sure we're staying under the blood. Make sure we're doing it God's way. I don't care if it's 10.8 miles. I'm still going to do it in a spirit of carefulness. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Yes, it is necessary. I said, yes, it is necessary. I'm glad somebody told me that it's necessary, that worship is necessary, that holiness is necessary, that separation from sin is necessary. It's not a bother to do this. My wife was reading a book by uh, Nan Pamer on the way up here, and she read me a little incident where they took their family to a beach. And uh, they all sitting out there, the girls in dresses, and the boys, you know, with long pants on and stuff. Somebody walking down the beach looked at him in this resort area. He said, y'all lose your luggage? It didn't dawn on what he meant. No, we, we didn't lose our, our luggage. And then it dawned on them after he was gone, they started laughing. The world thinks we're crazy. They think we lost our luggage. <laughs> Honey, we ain't lost our luggage. We intend to dress this way. We intend to live this way. We intend to act this way. Don't feel sorry for me. I choose to be a Christian. I choose to live for Him. I choose to be godly and holy in a perverse and wicked generation. I'm, I'm wrapping up. This is we're on the countdown here. Well, they made it. And I haven't got time to go into the rest of the story. That's the part I wanted to tell you. David now is getting a little older. And his boy is coming to the throne. <laughs> I love this. Let's say he loves it. He do. You better go put my glasses back on and find it. Let's see, where is it at? Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 17. Second Chronicles 9, 17. Anybody know where that's at? I'm having a hard time finding it, it looks like. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold, and there were six steps to the throne. Solomon, why did you put six steps going up to the throne? Well, my daddy was telling me about bringing the ark back, how they went six steps and stopped. I got to looking at all the things in the temple, in the tabernacle, where God said, six of these and six of those and do it this way and do it that way. And everything about the temple that I've just built speaks of symbolism. He made six steps to the throne. I contend, ladies and gentlemen, there are six steps to the throne of God. We don't have a literal temple to go up to today, but you can go into the throne room if you're careful. If you fear Him, if you sanctify yourself, if you obey Him, if you honor Him, if you worship Him and you'll keep that blood applied, no matter what the world may say to you, no wonder Paul said concerning all this, yea, what carefulness it wrought in you. Thank God the spirit of carefulness is in our hearts today. God bless you. Listen to what the Lord has to say. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you wait on the Lord with me for a few moments right now? With your eyes closed, why don't you lift your hands and ask God to let the Word 
Get into your heart today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you slip out into the aisle and down to this altar for a few moments with me? A message like this deserves more than just a quick evacuation of the building. We need to let the word of the Lord head into our hearts. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Meditate on what you've heard today. Thank God for the necessary things.